First Peter chapter number three. Read the first six verses. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing gold or of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Well, Tonight we're going to be in a 75-part series on wives. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but we are going to preach on wives submitting to your husbands. And probably that's probably what people think of. So that's all we ever talk about and that's all we ever uh, look into is, uh, is this uh, passage or this topic of Scripture. But uh, we know that's not the case. Um, but I really don't care what the world thinks about this or what the world has uh, thinks that we um, believe about this. Um, I care what God says about it. And I think that God's people care what God has to say about it. And this is not grievous. The Lord's commandments are not grievous. In fact, it is the way to a happy life. Um, I've worked um, in my time, I've worked with uh, many women uh, who knew the Lord, but also many women who did not know the Lord, and and without question, the happiest wives and the happiest um, families that I've that I know and have known are Christian families, and the most and the unhappiest are those who don't know the Lord and are in rebellion to, to God's way of things, and that's just a fact. That the happiest people, the happiest families that that I know and have known are those who follow the Lord and love the Lord. So this is not grievous uh, to God's people, but it is a way in which God guides us in how we ought to live and how um, wives can glorify uh, their Lord. Um, when God tells a Christian to do something, it's not to hurt us, but to bless us and to help us. God is a loving Father. And so the Lord, our Heavenly Father, does not look down upon His children and say, how can I make them the most miserable that they can be? But in what way will they best glorify me? In what way will they best um, uh, praise my holy name? And in that, he blesses us. So this is a guide for Christians in a way, in God's ways. And God's ways are always the best ways. Now, we can, you, can argue, um, you can argue whether you agree with it or whether you like it or not. You can't really argue that God's ways are the best ways. God created us. God created this world in which we lived in. So he would have the best way of knowing how that you can most glorify him and um, best be happy. He's our maker. He knows how the world works. He knows uh, the, the consequences of sin. 
and, and the law is, is there uh, for, for his glory and for our good. So we'll look at this from that perspective, that Peter is writing uh, to Christian wives from the perspective um, of a God who has, as we've said many times before, um, chosen us, have a great inheritance for us, keeps us, um, provides for us, leads us, directs us, so we have this great hope in Christ Jesus. Now, we must be very careful in what we bring into the Bible. You know, the three rules for real estate's location, location, location. Well, I've also heard the three rules for biblical interpretations, context, context, context. But there are some rules even for that, right? So you have the context of the immediate passage. So we could say, we could look at chapter 3 and say, well, what's the context of chapter 2 and, and, and chapter 4 and so forth? But we also have to remember the context of the book. Who is Peter writing to? What did he say the theme of the book was? What was the purpose of the book? Um, that, uh, that, that, you know, is there a theme that, that is laid out here for us? And then you have to do the context of the book, the context of the Bible. And so when Peter um, is telling these, the wives here tonight, when we see this in the scripture, um, he is bringing, he's going back all the way to Genesis and bringing in the whole, uh, the whole um, view of, of the scripture with him in what is true and what is right. That's all we need. You know, that's all that we have that is authoritative, inspired, and trustworthy. I can read a history about the times the apostles lived in, and it can be helpful as far as it's true, but I have to remember, you have to remember that the history books are not inspired, the commentaries are not inspired, and the commentators who set the context for us are not inspired. So you could go and you could Google this passage, and I'm sure that you would find articles talking about well, in Peter's day, this is what was going on, so you, know, you have to take this with a grain of salt, and you don't have to really pay attention much to, to what's being said here, and so forth. Well, no, let, let's... God gave us the book, right? And we don't have to have the book plus 50 other books in order to understand the book. God has given us all the, the, the background, the context that we need to understand the text of Scripture here. So we can't reinterpret what Peter plainly says in the Bible in order to make it fit a cultural context um, that may or may not be accurate. So we might not like what Peter has to say, but we can't really argue with what he said. It's very plain what he said, even though some might not like it. Well, tonight we're going to look at it from four different perspectives, for four different points. Christian submission... Um, converting in conversation, the clothing and character, and then the, the children of Sarah. So we're going to have those, those four things. So first, Christian submission. It starts out likewise. Likewise. So what's he mean by likewise? Well, we back up chapter 2, verse 13. He told all Christians to be in subjection to the government, whether it's good or evil. That's besides the point. The rulers will have to answer to God for how they treat their subjects, but God says it is his will that his people 
are in subjection to the authority that he put in charge over them and by his providence. Well, then you go in a little bit further. Verse uh, 18, servants be in subjection to your masters. So good or evil, that's besides the point. If, if you have someone over you, then God says this is acceptable and thankworthy, even if they are bad, especially if they are bad, to, to be a witness in that regard. So then he gets to chapter 3 and verse number 1. He says, likewise, wives be in subjection to your husbands. And you'll notice verse 7, likewise, ye husbands. So this is a theme that he, that's, that started in the middle, or the, yeah, the middle of chapter 2 and carries on of this, God has instituted an authority structure. This, where does the authorities come from? It comes from God. Where does, who ordained the family? God. Who made us? Male and female? God. And so God says, be in subjection to this uh, authority that I have um, established. And so likewise, in the same manner, well, is the king better? Is, is the president a better person than you? And because he's a better person, you have to, or is he superior? Well, no, you wouldn't say that. He said, no, it's the office, right? It's the office of president, and I'll respect the office, and it has nothing to do with the person because God's put the man in the office, and I'll respect the office. What about a boss? Is a boss better than you as a human being? He said, no, he's a, he's a man just like I am. And, uh, and, he has um, some authority, but I, I'll respect the office, I'll respect the position, um, regardless of the man, because um, of the position. Well, you get down to chapter number three, likewise. Does that mean that men are superior to women? Well, no, that's not what that means. It's not, it's not what it's saying. It's saying likewise in the same manner. The authority doesn't have anything to do with, with um, I don't know a good word to say, is if one is better than the other. It's just the fact of man, male and female. And so God had made Adam, and, and from Adam made Eve. And the man is the head of, head of the woman, and that's God's authority structure. And he says, so wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. To love, honor, and obey, as the covenant vows go. So wives are to serve Christ by serving others. Specifically, those God in His providence has placed you under. So, some people get married and they say, Well, I don't know if it was God's will for me to marry this person or not. Well, yes, it was God's will because you've married Him. We know that because in, in God's providence, you've married that person. So, that's what happened. That's the wrong question to ask. You say, Well, God in, in His providence has given me this spouse, and God in His word has told me what to do. And so, regardless of of, of good or evil, this is what the text says. It has nothing to do with the value, but all to do with God's order. It has everything to do with being a servant of Christ, seeking to follow Christ's footsteps for Christ's sake. So it's also important to remember that Peter's not just being a sentimental traditionalist. So in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, the silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So Peter's not just trying to get things back to the way they were when he was a kid. You, know, you and I, we all have that uh, t 
temptations to want things to be back the way they used to be. And so I wish things were the way they were back whenever I was a kid. Well, maybe I do and maybe I don't. Because whenever I was a kid, I didn't know all the problems that were going on. Maybe maybe uh, you say, well, I, I, I wish things were the way we were when I was a kid. Well, maybe you didn't know all the, the big problems were because we were children, right? So it's not a sentimental view of looking at uh, these things. Because he's saying, I don't want you to go back just to the old vain tradition. It's bigger than this. Nor is he wanting women to go along with the culture of the times. Peter understands what he's calling women to do. Because in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And I would say, most likely in today's culture, this is one of maybe three or four issues that the world hates Christians over more than anything else. Um, what did they attack um, former Vice President Mike Pence about? Right? It was that he hated women. That was one of the things that, that they talked about. They dressed up in the handmaid's uh, uh, costumes to, to, to protest him because he's a Christian. He's one of those wicked Bible-believing Christians who believe what the Bible says about men and women. Always evil. Wicked. He hates women. All right. The Christian Christians hate women. Well, if you want to go down through history and see how women are treated, um, and see what Christianity has done for women, actually, and 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 how the pagans have treated women down through history, uh, you know, you just can't say that that Christians hate women or or, or bad um, for women. You just can't say that. Um, just historically, even. But we know. We know, and Peter knows, that this concept will just bring ire upon, upon God's people. But we have to proceed on, knowing that we'll be spoken evil of, but by our good works, show the glory of Christ. And so this is one of those instances where people might make fun, make, make fun of a wife, or a family, or a church for this view. Well, why would God have us to do this? Why would, why would the Lord say, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands? Well, it's not because all husbands are just fine figures of men, and, and, and that's just the way it is, but actually it's the opposite here. If we read it, it says, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So the wife might say, like the husband might say, when he said, well, what if, what, if, uh, what, if the, what if my master is not a good master? Well, God says to submit. Well, what if the president is not a good president? Well, God says to submit. Well, what if the husband is not a good husband? Well, the, the text says what, what is to be done. Now, just like with the government and just like with uh, servants and masters, we're not going to go over every possible scenario, right? So this, this does not apply. I don't, if, if someone came to me and said my husband was beating me and, and abusing me, you know, this would not be my, 
response to that, right? So we're using a little bit of uh, Holy Spirit common sense here um, in, in that regard. But this is this is just uh, all things being equal here. So we're not going to go over every possible scenario and, and every objection, just like we didn't do it with the other thing. So you, you, you follow your husband as far as the scriptures will allow you to go. All right, so... Uh, you follow the government as far as the scriptures allow you to go because God is your God. And you follow your, your job as far as the scriptures allow you to go because your job is not your God. God is your God. And you follow your husband as, long, as far as you can go um, because your husband's not God. But God is your God. So it's the same objections, the same qualifications. We're just not talking about the qualifications tonight. So um, to go on, the likewise here, is saying, well, what if my husband's not obeying the Bible? Now, a lot of people think that this is just saying lost husbands. It would include lost husbands, but I think it would include uh, saved men too who are not obeying the word. What if my husband's not obeying the word? What if he's not living up to what he's supposed to do according to scriptures? What if he's not being the husband that he ought to be? Well, this submission is not submit to your husband when he deserves to be submitted to. And it's not, uh, well, he doesn't do what I want him to, so I'm going to punish him for it. That's quite the opposite of what Peter is saying here. Because even the publicans love those who love them, right? So it's not, he'll be treated nice whenever he starts treating me nice. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying the opposite. What he's saying is that if the husband obeys not the word, then they may be won or gained by your good works. So in Matthew 18, you know where Jesus says, if you have something against your brother, go and talk to him. And if he'll hear you, you've gained your brother. That's, that's the idea here. That because of the disobedience of the husband, there's problems in the house. So what's the wife to do? Well, the wife is to be in subjection to her husband. Even in that regard, that, that the husband might be gained, that he might be won. The purpose, just like in submission to the rulers, just like in submission to the masters, is that God would be glorified by the good actions of, of the godly wife. So, you know, you might say, well, my husband's not doing what I want him to do, so I'm going to tune him up. Well, guess what? According to Scripture, that's not going to work. I mean, you may get him to do what you want, but he'll resent you for it, no doubt. It's an exhausting thing to go back and forth and to keep escalating until, until there's a winner. It's an exhausting, it's an exhausting thing that, that just doesn't help. It doesn't work. And we all know from experience that with any kind of relationship, uh, that doesn't that doesn't work. So Peter says for the wives to submit. Why? Because that's the spirit that will win your husband. That's what will break the heart. That's what will convict the spirit. It is the the meek and quiet spirit that will break the heart, and and all things being equal again, um, that that God can use as a quiet testimony unto his saving grace. 
They're all the patriarchy. You just want women in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. That's all Christians want. You want to suppress women. You want uh, you want to to make uh, you want to set up a society where where men run everything and and women are are left behind. Okay, well let's let's take that for granted and let's say we look and see what the other view has wrought us. Whenever I was a kid, I do remember messages like this when I was a kid, and they talk about the slippery slope where America was headed. And they talk about feminism and stuff. And this is where women's heading. I will say they were wrong because they didn't think it would be this slippery of a slope. It's a lot worse than I ever remember anybody saying that it would be. Okay, so if we just start in the 1960s and move forward, what and and what I'm trying to do is say let let's have it their way. Let's just let's just say okay, the Bible's wrong. We'll do it your way. Because that's basically what has happened in Western society. We've said the Bible is wrong. We're going to do it our way. God has given Western society over to our reprobate minds, and He said, okay, do it your way. So, so how's that working out for the women? Right now, you have men playing women's sports and women being subordinate to those new women. Right? Women can't play sports anymore, or at, least, at least win, because men are now the best women at sports. All right? Now you're subjected to, to the men even in the sports because of equality and all that kind of stuff. How many women of the year awards have there been given over the last several years to men? Big dudes in dresses. And they say, well, that, they're the best women of the year. Uh, Oscar award-winning actress now says that she's a man. So now the best actresses are men. You have women, you have the, the Secretary of Transportation who shacks up with another homosexual man who wanted the baby, so they go get a surrogate woman to have a baby for him. Who is this woman? Where'd that baby come from? Who knows? Who cares? All that woman's good for is to have babies. Don't care what she, what she does, don't care what happens to her, we just want her to have babies. You see the rise of objectification of women, valuing women for only their bodies and their looks. You have children who, whose lives, little girls' lives, are just ruined by social media and looking and comparing their bodies to other people's bodies and say, well, well, this is what I have to look like, and this is what I have, and in order to be valued, I have to dress this way and look this way, and and it just crushes little girls. Even secularists will say that yet that young girls is almost dangerous for them to, to be on certain social media apps because of the pressure and the things that it does to their mind, because of, of this is what a woman is, uh, an object of a man's fantasies and desires. You have corporations and big businesses paying for abortions or sending women now out of state to have abortions so they can keep working. Big businesses 
after the, the fall of Roe versus Wade, they said, we will not only pay for your abortion, but we'll send you to a state where you can have one. Uh, that way, you can keep on working. You can't, you can't go and have maternity leave. You've got to kill that baby so you can keep on working, so you can, you can do what we tell you to do. G.K. Chesterton said that, that women decried staying at home and back in his day and told their husbands they wouldn't be dictated to and then left and become stenographers. <laughs> but the, the point was, they said, we're not going to be subordinate to any man and then they go out and get a job and subordinate to the boss. So it, it, um, his point was that it, it's not a matter of, of subordination even. It, it's a matter of what is best for the family. So basically, if we take all these things together, after 60 years of the women's movement and, and, and abandoning scriptures and just doing what people think are the best, women are subordinate to men in sports and in acting and everything, other things, that they're used for pleasure and baby-making and treated like indentured servants. After all the, the, the quote-unquote progress Look at the state, uh, that the way we treat women in this country. It, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting that, that to look at some ugly man in the dress and say, well, there's a true woman, there's a real woman, we're going to give her an award for being a real woman. Oh, look at this six-foot-five guy swimming and winning all these uh, races. There's a real woman. Two guys want to have a baby. Well, we just, need, we just need somebody at the womb to come and have a baby for us. That's all the things that they accuse Christians of, of trying to do, barefoot and pregnant and subjugating women and, 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 and being evil towards them. All the, the lies that they tell about us, that's the world they've created. So you can trust God's way because, because you can look around and see, the world's way does not work. What society has done is taken first-class women and, and said the only way you can be happy is if you become a second-class man. The only way you can be happy is if you try to act like a man and then, and then uh, be compared on that, instead of being what God has, has called you to be. So what, what, is, the, what is the answer here? Well, he says that they obey that the husband might be won by the conversation of the wife while they behold your chaste conversation couple with fear. So here the wife comes in and her husband does a double take. And what's the double take? What's he beholding here? Chaste conversation coupled with fear. Peter says it's not the clothes here the outward, but the inward. And so if the husband is not obeying the word or if he's not in submission to God, the answer is for you to keep on doing the right thing, not to answer sin with sin. But he turns, he turns and sees the chaste conversation, the pure life, the holy life, and then coupled, put together with, added to, um, fear, or this in this regard, it could be fear of God, but I believe in the context it's just talking about respect, um, 
respect to her husband. And I'll get into that just a little bit, why I believe that. But he says, when your husband is not obeying the word, maybe even acting like a jerk, the chase conversation coupled with fear is what will win him. Same went for the government. Same went for the masters and slaves. Same, this relationship here, it says it, it, it'll turn the tables because God is glorified in this. Why, how is that? Well, he goes on a little bit deeper in verse number three. He says, Whose adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning, of plating of hair, of wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. So what you wear does communicate something. Jesus said that about the men in his day. He said, if you want to see men in soft clothes, uh, go to the palace. Their clothes communicated sort of an effeminate air. But John the Baptist's clothes communicated somebody a little bit rougher. So your clothes do say something about you. But um, he's not giving a treatise in a, on, on what kind of clothes to wear. There's nothing wrong with, with dressing nice or nothing wrong with dressing up even. Just remember the context. Because, you know, it's funny that you can say, some people will say, oh, I take the Bible literally, and what it says here is not to wear gold. And, and so that means you can't wear jewelry. And so I, I've known people that said, my wife won't wear any jewelry because of that text right there. We've got to be careful because, yes, it does say, let it not be of the wearing of gold. <laughs> but look at what it says at the end of the verse. Let it not be of the putting on of apparel. So if you take it to mean you can't wear gold, you're also saying, well, God says here that they're not allowed to wear any clothes. And, we, and that's not what it means. So we just, like I said earlier, use a little bit of, uh, of, of thought and say, well, what's Peter addressing here? Well, the point is clear. Peter's just saying it's more important what's on the inside than what's on the outside. It's not what's on the outside that's going to win your husband. But God says it's the beauty that's on the inside that will both catch the eye and make the husband behold and which is in the sight of God a great price. So there's two people looking at the wife here. Um, verse number two, while they behold, the husband's looking. And then um, in the end, uh, verse number four, it says, which is in the sight of God, great price. So God's looking. And this inward attitude, this inward heart, uh, will win the husband and is pleasing unto God. And so Peter is saying, you can, you can put all the stuff on the outside, but, but that's going to have little value, little spiritual value. Of course, your husband will like it, and, and you'll like it, and so forth. So that, I'm not... He's not even saying that, that that's wrong, but he's, he's saying, let's compare these things. Because this is the third time, I believe, that he's used this corruptible, incorruptible comparison. Because remember in chapter number one that we weren't, um, that we have this inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away. And then we were, we were not redeemed or we we're not born again by the corruptible seed, but the incorruptible word of God. And then the trial of our faith is, is much more precious than that of gold which perisheth. 
So he's not saying gold is invaluable, but he's saying compared to the inner working, to care, compared to the inner heart, all the jewels and golds and diamonds and, 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 and all these types of things, they fail in comparison to the value and the beauty of what's on the inside. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you compare these two, what is more powerful and what is greater in God's sight is that of, of the inner person. And so, um, again, it's, he's not saying this is bad. He's just comparing the two. Just like he wasn't saying gold was bad whenever he's saying gold that perisheth. But he's saying the trial of your faith is more valuable than even gold. And here he's saying the inner spirit, the inner man that is in subjection unto the Lord's commands is more beautiful than if you went and had a makeover in New York City, whatever the case may be. So the husband will behold the chaste and respectful life of the wife and he'll be convicted. And that quiet testimony will speak very loudly. So you're, so he'll see God's uh, valuable jewels. God sees the heart. God sees what is permanent. And then he talks about a meek and quiet spirit. But let it be of the hidden man of the heart, which is um, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Now this is not, as some people say, a feminine quality, a meek and quiet spirit. Peter isn't saying be meek and quiet like a good girl ought to be. He's saying, have a meek and quiet spirit as a suffering Christian ought to have. The meek and quiet spirit is not a feminine quality because Jesus was meek and lowly and gentle. And he came in riding humbly on, on the colt of an axe in Matthew 11 and Matthew 21. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is gentleness and meekness. 1 Timothy 4.11 says all Christians should have this disposition. So it's not a feminine quality to have this submissive, meek and quiet spirit, but it is a Christian quality um, to one who is in subjection and submission to the word of God. So that, that's what he's saying here, that, that the woman can show strength in meekness and the quietness of spirit. Now, I, I actually preached on meekness Sunday night, and so it Meekness, what was that? It was strength under control. Like the illustration of the horse that has a lot of power. A horse could get out from underneath you and stomp on you and kill you, run away from you, but, but it, can, it controls its power. When the rider gets on it, it, it's restrained. Well, the woman has strength and the woman has power. And in this situation, she's submissive to the word of God because she, has, she is under control. But she's the one in control of this situation. And it is an ornament and a testimony to the grace of God that with her, with her great spiritual strength can um, endure and persevere um, under any uh, trial or circumstance. That's the idea here. Because if we just say, well, that's a feminine quality, then all you're saying is, is women just have to act like their own nature and everything will be fine. Well, you know and I did know that there's no one that is by nature meek under trials and suffering. 
Not a one of us. Not me, not you, not anybody. Because as soon as things get rough, the first thing we want to do is, is rise up and, and, and get after it. But, but this is the, a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're not looking at something that is inherent in the quality of, of one sex over another. We're looking at something that God gives his people as a gift um, in, in the service to him. The point here is it is difficult. This is a difficult task. It is a hard thing that God has called uh, wives to do. Wives see more flaws of their husbands than anybody else in the world. They spend probably more time with him than anybody else. Wives see him when he's hungry and, and tired and, and good days and bad days, good moods and bad moods. Um, the more that you get to know somebody, the more comfortable you are with them. And then, then you get to see uh, more of their good, but you also see more of the bad. And if the man is in sin or if the man is lost, it makes matters all the worse. But this is the privilege of glorifying God um, in submission for his will and for Christ's sake. Edmund Clowney said, Knowing how precious to the world are the golden gems of outward show, Peter shows that that which God puts a high price tag on, the hidden but unfading beauty of the heart. The contemporary world resists the aging process at all costs. Yet the youthful body that it idolizes quickly fades away. Christians need God's values to reject the futility of the worldly search for beauty. Can real beauty still be blooming along with the wrinkles? Well, Peter offers the answer of a long-established beauty school, the Daughters of Sarah. And that's the, the last point for tonight, the children of Sarah. Because look in verse number 5. For after this manner... You say, well, nobody can do this. Well, after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So in the old time, in the former days, the old paths. So I said Peter wasn't looking back to whenever he was a kid longing for the the, the days like they used to be, well, in a sense, he's looking back even further. He wants, he wants us to be old-fashioned in a real old-fashioned kind of way and not in the, not in the 100 years ago kind of way, but in the 4,000-year-old kind of way. What he's saying here is this is not something new. This is not something that he just thought of. This is not some new um, psychological program that um, the ancient Dr. Phil figured out. But this is something that, that God's Word has, has, has uh, taught and showed for thousands of years. So we looked at a, a survey of the culture, of Western culture over the last 60 years, and it's not turning out too well for us, right? Good job, everybody. We've got the... We've got the Men being women and, and all these crazy things. Good job. Well, well, Peter says, this is what, we might say, this is what the world looks like. But, but we have a 4,000, 5,000 year old span of history of God's people saying, this is, this is how the daughters of Sarah have acted. 
This is this is this is the consistent testimony of the God-fearing women through time and history. It's not custom or cultural based, but it's trusting in God's word, looking to the Savior, believing His word, trusting His promises, and following Him. Even Sarah, it says. So as after this manner, the old time, the holy women, thousands of years, this is what they've been doing, trusting in God, adorning themselves in the truth, in this submission, subjection unto their husbands. Just like Sarah, whenever Sarah called him Lord. So that's from Genesis 18.12, whenever Sarah heard she was going to have a baby, and Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxing old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So notice what Peter um, is referencing here. She was talking to herself. And she's kind of laughing, saying, I'm an old woman. I can't have babies. My husband's an old man. He, well, this is not going to happen. But notice she wasn't making fun of him and she wasn't mocking him. But she's speaking in her heart. The only other person that hears her say this is God, because God knows the heart. But she said, my Lord, in her heart. Not as a slave or master, but more like sir. She just had respect for Abraham. And she wasn't going to make fun of him. And she wasn't going to mock him. And she just treated him with respect. So the Lord isn't like you bow down and say, yes, my Lord. But it just is just a, a term of respect. And so that's why I think verse 2 is talking about fear and respect. Because that's what Sarah did. She treated her husband with respect. Ephesians 5.33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So the husband loves his wife, and the wife respects her husband. She wasn't a slave to Abraham, because remember, Abraham had her and Hagar, and had children between both of them, and all living in the same house. And, set, and then Ishmael started making fun of Isaac, and Sarah had enough of it, and she said, you need to get this woman and this boy out of this house. They can't live here anymore. And Abraham said, well, I can't do that. I can't kick her out of the house. And God says, you listen to Sarah. Sarah's right on this. So Sarah wasn't a pushover, but, but she loved her, Abraham, and she respected him. And what this tells us is this was a voluntary submission. Not because Abraham was a, a, a fine figure, because if you think about Abraham being a husband, he was hardly the best of husbands. Twice he got Sarah sold into slavery and almost ruined her twice. And then the whole, is, the whole issue with uh, Hagar. But what did Sarah do? She just persevered. And then now she is the picture of, of godliness. And so when you follow Christ as, as a wife, you're called a daughter of Sarah. One who illustrated what it is to, to live as a godly life, wife. Sarah was a chosen woman of God. She wasn't just any ordinary woman. But in her humility and dignity of her of the position that God put her in, she called Abraham Lord because she uh, trusted in God. 
She trusted in her God. So I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just showing you what God has been leading his daughters to do for thousands of years. And you say, well, I haven't done that. Well, in Christ, today is the day to start afresh. Sins are forgiven every day. And today is the day that we can start afresh and and start anew. So remember who you are. Remember the beginning of chapter number two. You're a royal priest. You're royalty. You are a child of God, a chosen chosen, uh, daughter of God. You have an inheritance. It's all waiting for you. You're, You're one in Christ. Remember where you're going with an inheritance that's incorruptible and and faded not away. And trust in the good shepherd showing us the right way. From the time that he's chosen us to the time that we're at our inheritance, the good shepherd is leading us the right way. So trust him and follow him. I pray the Lord would bless the preaching of his word tonight and um, that God would help us all to live for his honor and glory. We could glorify him in this wicked world.